May the Lord be with you. Please pray with me. Almighty God, in your faithfulness, you have, through the ages, told your story to reveal yourself and to invite all creation into your sovereign purposes. Draw us, your listening servants, into that story now as never before, so that we may live more fully into the gracious reign and rule of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So, family of God, I am honored and privileged to share with you this morning the results of a research project. This project was meticulously conducted at my request on Friday, the 20th of November. It was conducted by an elementary educator that I know very well, who carefully developed a set of three questions for which she sought answers from a group of young students. This morning, we will all have the chance to hear the questions and the answers. For those of you who are researchers, I assure you that if you pay no attention to how the data was collected or analyzed or reported, you will find a spiritual blessing in this. The students were first asked to answer the question, what is sovereignty? Quite a few responded to this question, and the answers were varied. Uh, One suggested that sovereignty might refer to saying something. Another suggested that it might mean solving a problem or answering something. One thought it might be related to power, and another thought it might be related to authority. The next question, how do you feel when someone else has power or authority over you? This one, the group was more hesitant to answer. Two answers were suggested. One person said that they feel jealous when someone has power over them because it means someone's bossing them around. Another said that they feel Powerful and positive when someone else has power over them. Interesting. Here we are at the end of the Christian year. I mentioned before that the Christian calendar is designed to remind us of the journey through the whole experience of life with Christ. For those Christians who use the Christian calendar in their personal or congregational spiritual practice, today's date is a unique celebration of the year that has passed. Today in our worship, we celebrate the reign of God and the kingship of Christ. 
So I thought we might stop and think about why that matters. What difference the reign of God makes for us. For anyone. Our text for today gives us insight as to what the significance of God's sovereignty is. What it looks like. What happens when God becomes sovereign over us and over the world? To understand our text today, we need to go backwards just a little bit in the book of Exodus, so I invite you to sit back and hear the story for the next couple of minutes. The story goes that Moses, who had been hidden as a baby because he was at risk of being murdered, then adopted into the Egyptian royal family, and then fled from Egypt on account of being charged with murder, ended up a shepherd in Midian. And there he has this new experience of God's rule. A God sighting in a plant that appeared to be on fire, but strangely not losing its form. This God had decided to exercise his rule by reclaiming a group of people. A group of people he had promised would share in his mission for the world. And he tells Moses that Moses will be their leader. Moses is to go to the current ruler of these people, this Pharaoh, and tell Pharaoh that he is being replaced as king of these people. Moses is also to tell the group of people that they have a new ruler now. And Moses doubts that he's capable of doing what this God is asking. But the God responds, I have decided that you can. And if I'm with you, and I am with you, you can do it. But Moses says, if I go to these people and I say that the God of their ancestors sent me to tell you that we have a new ruler, they're going to ask me, what's his name? Moses anticipated that the people were going to want to know who exactly this God was. Which God? Should we trust this God? Can we trust this God to take such a crazy risk? And in response to Moses' objections, this God gives Moses a gift, a statement of his trustworthiness and a hint of his sovereignty. The God says, there's nothing outside of me that describes me. I just always am what I always am. And the God takes the words of that last phrase, I always am what I always am, and creates a play on those words as his personal name, the divine name. And he says to Moses, when they ask my name, tell them that. And Moses obeys. 
He tells Pharaoh what the name has said about being replaced as ruler of Israel. And the name proves that he is truly sovereign and more powerful than the Pharaoh. By bringing plagues, by mercifully sparing this people that he's called, by having them walk out of their captivity, by eliminating the threat that their captors posed to them. They leave Egypt, they walk together, they sing songs, and three months later, they come to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp at the base of a mountain. And then the God with the special name gets ready to give this people a law to live by. But living under the rulership of this God was going to be different than what they were used to. And so before God gives them the rules to live by, he needs to explain in one more different way who he is. He needs to explain what he's done in freeing them. And he needs to give them their new identity. And that catches us up to Exodus 19. God calls Moses up onto the mountain and begins to give him instructions on how to prepare the people for God's appearance with them. The first part of this task consists of Moses delivering a twofold message to the people in the camp below. The name tells Moses to remind the people that he freely decided to come to them. He instructs Moses to remind the people that they're no longer under Pharaoh's rule, but now under the rule of God. God has treated them like eagle parents who protect and care for their young. And he has drawn them close. And what was really different was that this God did this just because he decided to do it. This was a people who would have been used to the idea of God's having to be convinced to do good things for them. But this God was different. They hadn't convinced this God to do anything. This God freed them just because that's how he is. That's the first part of the message. And then Moses is to deliver a message to the people about who they are as a result of what has happened. A message about their new identity. So now that I've delivered you, if you obey my voice and keep this renewal of the covenant that I made to your ancestors, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole world is mine. But you, you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Treasured possession. Carmen Imes, who teaches at Prairie College just down the road from us, has done wonderful work exploring that phrase. In Hebrew, it's a single word, which we heard from Don, 
segula. Most of the times when the word is seen in the Old Testament, it refers to the king's personal treasury. It can generally mean a special wealth or a special possession. But we can also learn something about this word by looking at some of the other languages in use at the time. In some of those languages, the related word can also refer to a person. So imagine this scenario. A great king goes around conquering a bunch of little lands, all with their own rulers. Now the great king rules all these little vassal kingdoms. And in that situation, the great king may choose one of the vassal kings to be his segola, his special representative in those lands, someone whom he empowered to carry his, his authority and speak in his name. And so here, God makes Israel his segula. They are going to be in covenant with God. They cannot earn God's favor. God has come to them out of his own will. But they are going to participate in the grace God has shown them. They were invited as a people to choose to reflect and refract that grace through the world. They would be the people who would put on display the joy and fulfillment of living with God as their king, of living life in a way which saw the graceful, loving character of the name, shaping and molding who they were, As a nation and with everyone, they would be mediators of God's presence in and to everyone they encountered. And when in the next chapter God gives the people examples of what it looks like to participate in his grace, we sometimes call them the Ten Commandments, he makes sure to remind them up front that they must never misrepresent him. See, they had been given their identity. They now belonged to him. They now carried his name. As Carmen Eim says, they had been divinely branded with that name. The name. This sign of God's trustworthiness and loyalty. And they must never carry that name in vain. And throughout their history, they are instructed to live out the graceful, loving sovereignty of God, not just among themselves, but to the whole world. They were not to be isolated. Chris Wright says that in this story, God doesn't just have redeemed slaves. God has reclaimed worshipers. And because worship of God isn't just what's done in ritual worship, but the way God followers live and tell God's story, they were to live this outwardly, yes, by proclamation, and equally by changing the way people everywhere lived with each other. They were to set up economic systems that provided not only for their own people, but for foreigners. 
They were to design their farming practices in a way that created opportunities for the less fortunate to flourish. As they moved from place to place, they were specifically given instruction to care for God's creation and not to destroy it. They were to invite others to live the sweetness of life under God's rule. They were the segula of God. This story is an early biblical example of a pattern we might notice in God's sovereign displays. When God puts God's own rulership on display, that that display involves people. God displays God's reign and rule by creating communities that live out that reign and rule. That is a key way in which God chooses to express sovereignty. And that expression, for us, resides within the greatest ever expression of God's reign, Jesus Christ. Today, as followers of the crucified, risen, and sovereign Christ, we are God's segula. The people invited and called, who live, do, and tell of the sovereignty of the God redeeming the world. Back to our research project. So far, we've heard two of the questions and the answers to those. One person, the one who gets jealous when others have authority over them, knows what it's like to feel threatened by authority. The understanding of authority this young person has may be similar to some of the definitions of authority we hold. Authority is a threat because it takes away from who I am. It diminishes me. How beautiful that this student named this experience of authority. Some experience God's rule just like this. Some of us have experienced God's rule just like this. How easy it is to reduce God's rule to a set of ideas that just battle each other using the kind of power that Christ himself rejected. We know, like the other student who answered this question, that there's something powerful and positive about following Jesus. But in the midst of trying to challenge what our faith should not be, we sometimes can't quite figure out what that powerful and positive is. But just in time, here's the third question. How do you feel about God having authority over you? And here's where this group of geniuses teaches us even more, because unlike me, they don't doubt their lived experience. 
I feel safe and smart. Because you learn from God and your mistakes. This student understands what it means to trust that they exist within a story greater than their own. Mistakes and challenges are just a part of life. But this person is safe nonetheless. Because God is faithfully using those mistakes to reveal ever new ways to enter the God story more fully. And the growth to be had in that process, even if it's painful, is to be cherished. Or this one. I feel complete. Because being with God is my goal for my whole entire life. Family of God, God reigns. And we have the privilege of a faith that allows us to celebrate that today. May we be a people who find God's sovereignty a thing to be cherished. May the Spirit give this community a renewed desire to find its fulfillment in living out God's reign. Let us be a people who allow God to form that Christ-like community of us. A community that, by the way we live together, by the way we care for others and for all of creation, mediates the healing, transforming rule of God to everyone and everything around us. May we accept the invitation to be God's segola, and be a people who are ever more able to say everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Amen.